You're listening to the Jesus Habit Podcast, where we use scripture and science to make your new nature in Christ second nature. Episode 118 for Tuesday, March 24th, 2020. On May 27th of 1936, the Queen Mary made her maiden voyage. With much fanfare, the ship departed from Southampton, England, to cross the Atlantic. On the morning of June 1st, the ship arrived at New York Harbor. The ship sailed around the world for 31 years, hauling 2.2 million passengers and 810,000 military personnel during World War II. When the ship was retired, it was brought to Los Angeles, where it would become a hotel and venue for special events. When the ship arrived, they they began to work on the ship to restore it and turn it into a profitable hotel. During this conversion, they removed the three huge smokestacks to remove the paint and restore them to their original glory. But there, there was a problem. Once they got them on the dock, they crumbled. All that was left of the three-quarter inch steel plate were the 30 coats of paint that had been applied over the years. The steel had completely rusted away by the harsh, salt-saturated air of the ocean. In a very similar way, our culture is corrosive. It eats away at our soul. When we spend great amounts of time out at sea, the sea has a way of working its way into you. And that's because our culture is a discipling machine, a machine that we willingly surrender to on a daily basis. All forms of media have figured out how to use story to get us to buy what they want, act how they want, and worse. The danger is in becoming hypocrites, which is either doing the right thing for the wrong reasons or doing nothing for so-called right reasons. This is what we call hypocrisy. And Jesus wasn't too fond of it. The word literally means actor or or stage player. It's someone who dissembles as opposed to resembles or pretends. Jesus expressed his frustration with the hypocrisy of the Pharisees at least 14 times in the book of Matthew. He called them whitewashed tombs that appear beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. Matthew chapter 23 verse 27. Question, how much different is the person in your head than the real-life version of you? In your head, are you much more kind and loving than you are in your actions and lifestyle? Or is it the opposite? Are you externally loving and kind, while on the inside you are full of spite and frustration about having to do such loving deeds? 1 John 4.17 says, In this world, we are like Jesus. So, we are supposed to be like Jesus to the world. But how do we know that we are like Jesus? How do we know that we have been transformed into his likeness? I mean, that's what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. We're supposed to be being transformed into Jesus' image with ever-increasing glory. But how do we know? While there are many ways to know if we have been discipled, the simplest proof is what we look like. In other words... Do we look like Jesus? Does our life look like the life of Christ? Are our motives driven by the same motive of love Jesus was driven by during his life? 
another way of saying it is, we know we are disciples of Jesus when the reality of the testimony of truth within us is in agreement with the reality of the way we live and love. 1 John chapter 5, verse 10 says, The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony or the truth in himself. Remember last week how we talked about confession? Remember that confession is to agree with reality. In the beginning was the Word. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In the beginning was the confession. The confession became reality and lived among humanity. Confession is not just the expression of an idea with your mouth. It's not even just agreeing externally with the testimony of Christ internally. Those are important parts of it, but but confession is a life lived in agreement with the truth. That's what Jesus, the Son of God, did. Jesus became the physical expression of the presence of God on earth. God's Spirit came on Jesus and remained on him during his earthly ministry. It abided on Jesus. The Spirit is the truth. Now, if we have the Spirit of truth living in us, the Spirit of truth must also work out through our lives. Look at how Jesus lived his life. He loved people. He was moved with compassion. He healed the sick and fed the hungry. And he gave his life as a sacrifice. The spirit of truth remained on Jesus because there was nothing hypocritical about Jesus. There was never a moment when Jesus' intentions didn't line up with his actions. But what does that mean for us? The spirit that is in us testifies about Jesus, not himself. The spirit boasts about Jesus. The spirit that abides in us empowers us to keep Jesus' commands, 1 John 3, 24. The Spirit is how we know we belong to God. The Spirit cries out in our hearts for the Father. The insides of a Christ follower are crying out for the Father. The internal motivations of the Christ follower are being rewired from selfish agendas and motives to the motives of the Spirit, which are about Jesus and the Father. But it doesn't stop there. This internal testimony also becomes external practice. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God and loves one another is a person who truly believes in Jesus, 1 John 2.23, 3.23, and 4.23. Someone who has been discipled by Jesus agrees with the reality that Jesus is the Son of God and loves one another sacrificially. So then how do you know when someone has been discipled? They look like the person who discipled them. So we have to ask, Who do we look like? Are we like Christ inside and out? Are our external actions driven by Christ-like internal motivations? Is the spirit of truth testifying within us about Jesus so much so that we are becoming like him on the outside? Or are we like the smokestacks on the Queen Mary? Are we being held together by layers and layers of external paint while internally we are corroding because we are being discipled by the world more than we are by Jesus? What God wants to do is different than what the world does to us. Jesus comes into us from the inside and turns the rust into reality. The Spirit brings reality to life inside us. 
And when the reality of God's love is alive inside us, it has to flow through us. Then, once we are cleansed inside, it starts to change how we look on the outside. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves being corroded by the salt of the sea. As we wrap up today, I want to let my grandpa Wilson share with you from one of the recordings of a revival sermon he preached at my home church, Trinity Wesleyan Church in Oak Hill, Ohio. And one more thing that Jabez prayed, O oh Lord, keep me from the evil. Amen. Don't forget it, folks. We need that. We need to pray that. And that's the burden of Jesus' prayer. John 17 and 15, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. Keep them from the evil. Now in closing, I'm just going to tell you a little thing that happened when I was a little boy, a little story, not very long. It's like this. I was just a little boy. My father had a country store and everything was the old-fashioned country store type in a little village, southern Indiana. And of course, here was, here was where the soap was, and over here where the post hostess were, and here's where the sugar barrel was, and here was over here the cracker barrel, and over here was the bacon, and over here was other things. And, and the flour, and all of these, yes sir. And out front was the kegs of nails, kegs of nails along here. My brother likes to tease me about taking the nails out and driving them in the ground out in the backyard. Yes, the nails, yes sir, nails. But you know what? There was also a keg of salt fish. Now you maybe never did in your lifetime eat salt fish. But you know, I was just big enough that I could take a hold with my fingers and take a hold in that little keg and I could pull myself up and chin myself and look in and see the fish soaking in the salty, grimy, salty water. There they were, salt fish. Mama would take those that fish and take it home and soak it overnight and pour the salt water off and pour fresh water on the process overnight. And then the next morning she'd fry it and make gravy and biscuits. Ooh, it was good, yes sir, yes sir, yes sir. You know, we never got the fresh fish in those days. And I'm an old timer. We didn't get fresh fish. Now you can buy it frozen and all of that. But you know, I got all the way to New York City on my way to Africa. I don't think I'd ever eaten fish from an ocean before. I got aboard that ship, the first thing they begin to serve us, fresh fish right out of the ocean. Ooh, it tasted so good, but you know what? It needed salt so bad, I had to grab the salt and pour it on. Yes, sir. It didn't have any salt on it. Then I got to thinking, if the Lord can keep a fish as long as it's alive, keep it free from salt in a salty, briny ocean, God can keep you and me. Thank God he can keep you and me victoriously above sin right in this present world. Thank you, Lord. If the Lord can keep a fish as long as it's alive, free from salt in a salty, briny ocean, he can keep you and me above sin in this present world.